0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Big Show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, episode 59, and we are your host, Pastors Christopher Gillespie. Rockin' and rollin'. And I am Donovan Riley. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This is as if he were saying, no one is without unrighteousness. Before God, all are unrighteous. Even those who practice works of righteousness and imagine that thus they can escape from unrighteousness, for no one can rescue himself. Therefore, blessed are they, not those who have no sin or work their own way out, but only those whom God forgives by grace. But who are they? Verses 6 and 7 will teach us who they are. And that is from Dr. Martin Luther's commentary on Psalm 32 volume 14 of the american edition of martin luther's
1: works a lenten themed psalm
0: i guess that is correct last week we did psalm 51 this week we are doing psalm 32 yeah
1: blessed blessed uh have we we haven't really talked about that word means have we not really. Uh so. the
0: simple way that I explain it and you can uh, chug ahead with what how you do it, but the way I explain it is very simply. It means to be uh, set apart for God's use or for special use. Mm. To be blessed is similar to being holy. It is something that is set apart and declared by God as being special.
1: Yeah, and given to as well, right?
0: Given to, right. I, I know in the I remember when I first started reading the Bible after my conversion, I had the NIV Study Bible and blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you in the Beatitudes was mm-hmm. translated as happy is the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I remember that. Which is about as far from the translation as you can get. It's not even paraphrastic. <laughs> and the pursuit of happiness, right? You know, Jesus commanded right. that in the Constitution. Right. Okay. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of, wait, no, that's that's not that's different. The Beatitudes. Text. <laughs> America.
0: Um, no, it, it is to, at least in the Hebrew sense, it is to be set apart. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, then you could say, yes, I am content, I am comforted, I am satisfied, sodis est in the Latin, because I am in the presence of the Lord. And in a certain abstract way, you could say happy, but um, that word carries so much freight in psychoanalytical terms that Mm -hmm. I find it actually unhelpful. Yeah. But blessed in this sense is literally someone who, well, if my sin is forgiven, and as Luther points out in his introduction to Psalm 32, to be righteous is simply that you are forgiven. That is, God no longer remembers your sin. That's the Hebrew definition of forgiveness or righteousness. God doesn't remember your sin. Yeah. He doesn't recall it to mind. So therefore, blessed is he whose transgression God doesn't remember anymore. So therefore, there is a sense of shalom, of peace, of overall well-being, contentment, Mm -hmm. because you are separated
1: from the judgment over your sin. And it's uh, passive. I mean, the problem with the Beatitudes, which you mentioned, uh, sometimes people, I think, read those actively, like blessed be, meaning that's the result of you making peace with others, (laughs) rather than actually blessed are the peacemakers, well, they're made at peace by God, right? And Correct. and they're given peace in order to be peaceful, right? To forgive right. others, and so and that does put you in this state of holiness or blessedness, right? The separation, mm-hmm. um, giftedness, we might say too, right. but it, but it's given. It's not uh, it's not an active verb. So here, even right. is forgiven. That's that's passive tense. And if you put this in your uh, in your word, they'll try to correct it into active, right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, and also, biblically, these words are never separate from God's presence, the presence of God's word, mm. the actual physical concrete presence of God. There is no such thing as blessedness or holiness or forgiveness apart from God's relation to
1: you. The blessed one, the forgiving, forgiving right, one. exactly.
0: Yeah. And I think to your point, that's what we end up doing when we read like the Beatitudes, like you pointed out, which is we want to assign ourselves to be the subject of the verbs. Mm-hmm because we actually want to separate ourselves from God. That's ultimately, or at root, what we're trying to do when we play with
1: the verbs and we parse those those words out. Oh, to be peacemakers apart from the peacemaker. 100%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay.
0: That's why in front of the UN, there is a statue, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, a casting of the verse from Isaiah, the swords being turned into plowsha- plowshares, is that they can apply to political... Uh, ideologies they can apply communally to us mm-hmm. they can, you know in an earthly sense apart from their biblical context so long as we simply separate them out from the source
1: of our blessedness or the source of our forgiveness and righteousness so so it'd be like well here um you know you're blessed uh, if your transgressions are forgiven so figure that out you know go get your transgression yes. forgiven go be blessed and so that you'll be blessed right right you know, like, uh, do you
0: remember I can't remember, I don't want to, I don't want to cast aspersions on anybody, but <laughs> do you remember about oh, probably 15 or 20 years ago now, do you remember there's a series called the
1: B hyphen attitudes? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. I can't remember context. But who it was. it's
0: exactly the, to the point that the B attitudes were simply to be
1: an attitude that you adopt based on Jesus's teaching. Right. So change your attitude and then yeah. that puts you into a right relationship with God. And your neighbor. And your neighbor, right? Whereas, 100%. whereas God puts himself into a right relationship with you, <laughs> right? Through Correct. forgiveness of sins. Uh, and therefore, um, you are made um, to be right. forgiving towards others. Right. Hmm. Something about Jesus reconciling us
0: to God <laughs> while go. we were still treating God as an enemy.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: But this is why we talked about this on the last podcast with Psalm 51. Luther, in the penitential Psalms, essentially upends and crushes the late medieval teaching on the penitential psalms as being what we do and to be in a state of penance or repentance that's essentially why you would read and meditate and then act out what is written here in the psalms in the penitential psalms whereas dr luther actually flips them on
1: their head and it makes them into a truly evangelical uh confession of the faith i think what's interesting about that and we mentioned in the last show mm-hmm. is that he initially wrote these in in or, or were they lectures? I think they were written. Yeah, they were lectures originally. Or lectures. Evolved out of. In 1517. So right. really, really early. And then when he revised them and, and released them in 1525, there's there's very little revision, according to the, right. the editor. So um, he was on to this. We've talked about this in other contexts. He was on to the Reformation, mm-hmm. so to speak, from the Psalms. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, the center the center of, of the Christian life being the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. You know? Right. Pick that up right out of the Psalms.
0: Well, and historically in the last well, since the end of the of the nineteenth century, scholars have tended to try and separate Luther into the three phases, oh, young yeah. Evangelical yeah. Luther, middle aged Luther, and then crazy old Luther. And the reason that we do that is so that we can get rid of the Luther that we don't like or qualify the Luther we don't like and domesticate him. Mm -hmm. And therefore we, and it also allows us then to be really lazy with our scholarship because we can say, well, before, oh, let's say 1521, Luther was not yet at his Reformation best. He was still developing. He was a zygote of a Reformation theologian. But as you just pointed out, that's not true, actually. If you re- look at his lectures on Romans, you look at his Psalms lectures from that time. If you look at the Heidelberg Disputation, uh, or even going back to the uh, Disputation against Scholastic Theology, right? Yeah, he's on it. He's just not anchored in place yet.
1: Right? You would he's say like a coon hound. It, it lacks the kind of clarity we might get later from him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he's got the coon up the tree. <laughs> he's just he's just trying to keep it
0: in one place. He's still you know he's still sniffing around a few other trees. But yeah, once it's all dialed in, yeah,
1: yeah. it's dialed in. So transgression is forgiven, uh, which is going to come back later on, right? In verses six and seven. What that means. Hmm. So no one is without unrighteousness. Before God,
0: all, there's those exclusive particles again, <laughs> all are unrighteous, even those who practice works of righteousness and imagine that by doing works of righteousness, they can
1: escape from unrighteousness because as Luther says, no one can rescue himself. We haven't mm. talked about it before. Um, maybe there's a tendency to overemphasize this, but but it, maybe it's helpful here. Is the what's called the two kinds of righteousness? So what sure. we, we call it like heavenly righteousness, earthly righteousness? Is that right? Yeah, the two you know, kingdoms. Yeah, or righteousness before God and then righteousness before men, right? Before right. one another, and uh, we can. I mean, you can be a very virtuous and upstanding person and live a moral, uh, you know, righteous life mm-hmm. defined Absolutely. by whatever standard even by the Bible standard, before your neighbor, uh, uh, apart from faith, and and then still lack the righteousness that is required by the law. 100%. Yeah. Right. Because there is God's word of law, as we would
0: call it, the second use, the mirror that holds up the cross to us, but there's still that first use, the civil use, that applies to all equally, believer and unbeliever alike, which I'm sure you encountered this as a pastor, and this is something that I've certainly in the past year or six months have really focused on even more we just had this conversation in an adult bible study yesterday morning is i now will draw out on the board the two kingdoms and where they overlap mm-hmm. at the cross with yeah. jesus being fully god and fully man just so they have that visual model in front of them on the whiteboard to say okay how are we drifting one way or the other than in, in what we're reading here in the large catechism regarding the lord's prayer thy kingdom come for example yeah But likewise here then, when we talk about blessedness or forgiveness or justice or righteousness, we let that tension slip and we either end up focusing wholly on heavenly righteousness and therefore all the earthly things we do must measure up to God's heavenly righteousness, or we let slip the tension
1: and we drift into earthly righteousness and think that our earthly righteousness can measure up to God's righteousness. Right, and you'll see this play out, uh, at least I have here recently, where People are astounded that in a congregational meeting or assembly of some sort that people don't (laughs) behave, (laughs) you know, and that, and the problem there is we've drifted into thinking, well, a congregation meeting is just a meeting. It's just a secular earthly thing. You're like, well, yes, but you're this, this earthly, these earthly matters are necessary for the preaching of the gospel. Right. I mean, you have to have a congregation and it has to be governed. It's, there's going to be politics because you have people and, uh, the the problem is is that if you try to do it apart from the forgiveness of sins, right? Uh because yeah, people are going to sin against each other in a board, a committee, or a congregation meeting. It it happens. Especially when they think <laughs> it's only a business meeting. <laughs> and uh you know, so so their sins not being covered by your neighbor in a meeting because it's just oh, it's just business. And you're like, mm, mm-hmm. No, it's not. Uh, right. <laughs> we live in both worlds. Yeah, right, exactly. So whose sin is covered? Luther reflects
0: on this, whose sin is covered. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. That is, blessed is he whose sin is covered. Luther comments, nor is anyone without transgression, as God clearly sees in all of us. Blessed, however, are those whose sin he covers. There you go. That's the definition of blessed then. Mm -hmm. The one whose sin God covers. Therefore, going back to the Beatitudes, Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, so forth. The root of that, though, according to, well, this, <laughs> is none of those are possible, as you pointed out
1: earlier, without the forgiveness of sin and God giving us his grace, his favor, showing us favor. Or you might say it, you know, blessed is the one whose sin is covered in Jesus. I mean, apart from Christ, there yes. is no atonement. Right. There's no blood covering. There's no forgiveness. Right, right. Right. There's no peace. There's no any of the blessedness, right? Correct. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Exactly. Because as we just talked about, you you end up falling into one or the other ditch of either earthly righteousness or heavenly righteousness and confusing the two and, and letting the tension slip where they meet at the cross. Mm-hmm. So blessed, however, are those whose sin he covers, does not see, does not remember, does not want to know about, but completely forgives by grace. They are those who do not cover, remit forgive, and forget their sins themselves. They look at,
1: recognize, remember, and judge them. And that's something? Jesus says, I forgive you. And then we say, but wait, there's more. Right. Or wait and a minute, are says, you sure? I don't want to know. I don't want to know about it. Why do you keep telling me about this? <laughs> right. I like how Luther gets it here. It's like, it's a little aggravating if someone, you know, if someone says, here's a gift and you say, yeah, yeah, but I got, I got more, I got to do my own right. thing first, right? Right. Or I need to keep reminding you of what this gift is for, right? Well, let me tell you about more sin. Let me tell you about more sin. No, no, it's already forgiven. <laughs> you know, move on. And they're like, no, nope, I got to
0: keep bringing this it up. This is why in another place, Dr. Luther famously said that only the devil brings up forgiven sins. Mm. Because God does not want to know about the sin <laughs> that he has already covered. He no longer remembers it. Why are you bringing it up? Because you doubt, I suppose. You doubt. Or as we read in Psalm 51 last week, we see the sins of others, the confession, right? That that your sin is always before me because (laughs) Mm -hmm. they carry their sin around on their back and there's a log in their eyes. Mm -hmm. is we can't focus on our sin because we don't actually believe we're that bad or we are who we should be,
1: as he writes. And therefore, with all that free time now, I can judge your sins for you. We've talked about preachers, you know, and and the context of their preaching or content of their preaching often indicates the thing that they struggle with. I, Correct. But I got it the other day with uh, my my kids, right? Uh, and they'll have to pardon me for sharing this example. But one is complaining about <laughs> another, and you know, great preaching moment. You know, pastor mm. father here say, um, "You know that thing you keep complaining about your that, that, that's in your brother? Mm, mm-hmm. That's actually your problem. <laughs> and the only right. reason why it bothers you is you you see in him." your own weakness, your own sin. Right. Mm-hmm. And you want to judge him because you don't want to be judged yourself or you want to be judged yourself, right? maybe. Uh, it's kind of a masochistic thing sometimes too, right? You keep right. bringing it up because you want to feel the the pain or the anxiety or the worry about it. I'd rather live there rather than live in the peace and comfort of forgiveness. Right. And thus he says, those who are blessed are those who do not
0: cover remit, forgive, and forget their sins themselves. Instead, mm. they look at it and recognize and remember and judge their own sin. So
1: it's kind of like this. I mean, here's holiness for you. You're being set apart, forgiven, um, made my child again, however you want mm-hmm. to put it, um, living in your baptism. You could say it all any number of ways. And then we say, uh, thanks, but no thanks, or mm, that doesn't, no, that sounds too easy or it's too comfortable. Right, uh, yes, but. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'd rather live over there or outside there, you know, and, mm-hmm. why? Well, how <laughs> often
0: have you and I as pastors heard confessions that midway, three quarters of the way, 90% of the way through are punctuated by a but? Well, yes, pastor, but, hmm. especially following the absolution.
1: Yeah. I remember hearing an interview, um, actually it was with your teacher, right, um, gymnastic and talking mm-hmm. about... He was revealing confessions, I think, but but regardless, in a storytelling kind of way that he does, correct. And you know, a number of the stories indicated that they would confess the same sin three, four, five times before yes, it, before yes. it stuck, right? And that's our experience too. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do you keep holding on to it? I already forgave it. Well, it comes back. And we have to recognize that 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 our our unbelief, um, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Luther would say, is a pretty good swimmer, <laughs> keeps coming yeah. back up to the surface and undermining uh, the forgiveness that is ours. Well, it's not magic. I think we
0: tend, people tend to think of, Hmm. even pastors tend to think of absolution as if it's a magical incantation. Once I pronounce forgiveness in Jesus' name, good, done, forgotten, forgiven, everything's good. We're all better. Fairy dust. Right, right. Versus you
1: do realize there's concrete, real earthly consequences that are underwriting this confession. And that's the other aspect too. It's easy to remember your sin when you see the effect of it. Uh, residual effect, right. you know, continuing. Right, 100%. You know, when you're in a troubled
0: relationship or a domestic violence situation, something that, that is always present,
1: mm.
0: yeah, addiction, for example, yeah, it's always present. So you come, you confess, you receive forgiveness, but you're going right back into it. Mm. And th- like I said, that's actually where that tension is concrete and real, where you let slip that tension between the first article and the third article or the, fir- the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom where you think, well, I'm forgiven, so now all my problems are, g- are going to go away. Huh. Or, well, I just walked right back into this problem and maybe literally got smacked in the face again after I just got absolved. So either you think, well, either the absolution didn't stick or you didn't have the right kind of faith or you're not repentant enough. or what? Are, you know, as uh, one woman said yesterday, she used these two examples. One was a negative example. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and my daughter was sexually assaulted. Mm. And I know that that's because of my unbelief and my doubt and my questioning and mm. my fear. The other woman then said, well, my daughter's wedding, we planned it for years and we wanted it to be this beautiful God-blessed day and it was a terrible stormy day and I prayed and I prayed all night long and wouldn't you know it, 30 minutes before the wedding, the clouds broke and the sun came out and it was the most blessed wedding you could you could pray for. mm mm-hmm. And in both instances, she recognized, the person telling me these stories, recognized that obviously both women were wrong in their understanding of prayer, for example. And yet, as you pointed out, it, it, it's not magic. It's not pixie dust that we just sprinkle over the problem and all of a sudden it, it goes away. The yeah. absolution, it anchors you in your identity. But as I explained too, and we've talked about this, I think if we cut ourselves loose from what Paul says about Christ being in us, Mm. We don't recognize that this isn't an attack on you. It's an attack on Christ in you. Right. And that you suffer for Christ, whereas others suffer on account of Christ. You suffer for the sake of righteousness.
1: Others suffer for the sake of unrighteousness. Right. And being forgiven or forgiving, either way, it's it's being forgiven for sin. So it does reveal Correct. sin to you at the same yes. time. Right. Uh, and it puts you right into the middle of it. Right, so now, now you can't ignore it. It's 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 forgiven, but in an earthly sense, you Mm -hmm. can't ignore it because now you know. And so then, daily, um, what as Luther would say in the Catechism, right? Daily contrition and repentance. Right now, now you're actually uh, acknowledging your sin, (laughs) and and for the purpose of you know of being forgiven. Mm -hmm.
0: Right, and think about this in relation to let's say. Luther's essay on uh, uh, whether a Christian can be a soldier, mm, Okay, and what he's doing there is he's distinguishing these two kinds of righteousness, these two kingdoms, and saying, yes, in the one kingdom, we need the sword. We need people to protect us from evil people. <laughs> and in an earthly sense, they're evil, but also maybe they are the agents of malevolent satanic evil in the world. And on the other hand, though, this same soldier who goes out and fights for his neighbor to defend his neighbor to protect us from this this malicious evil when he goes to or she goes to church on sunday part of the confession of sin is still to acknowledge that in a perfect world this we wouldn't have these conflicts we wouldn't have violence we wouldn't have evil people these malicious people doing evil to others and especially the gospel right. but that's not the way the world is no. and therefore the tension we live in is we need to love our neighbor in such a way that we can actually protect them from being murdered by, by people with malicious intent. But on the other hand, we also recognize that in Christ, we're righteous in a non earthly sense, in a heavenly sense. Right. So the the soldier who goes to his work in faith is still righteous in a heavenly sense because it is done in faith. In the same way that a farmer is, is righteous when he goes to his work in faith, in the same way that a, a teacher goes to her work in faith, whoever it might be, As Dr. Luther says, when you go to your work in faith, you are worshiping God, no matter what you're doing, which is hard for us if we let that tension between the two kingdoms slip, because how can I say that shooting a terrorist Mm.
1: is somehow like God's work? Righteous, yeah. Is righteous work, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and I think the other aspect you were saying, or maybe another way to say this, uh, instead of like fairy dust or magic... Is that forgiveness is a transformative word that it actually changes us, mm, but it's yeah. but it's actually a declarative word, right? Yes. It, it 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 yes, it declares a new reality and sense of our relationship to God, um, but yet the flesh remains correct. So correct. So our sin remains, although it's covered, right? So mm-hmm. think of um, the way. Uh, well, I don't know in the Old Testament priesthood that they they would be covered in blood, right? Yes, and they're still the actually. same. People, but now they're covered in the blood of the sacrifice. Correct.
0: This is why Luther, over and over again. I just wrote an article for HT Magazine on this, on the simile mm. from the Psalms, from mm-hmm. Psalm fifty-one, actually, and from in using Paul and Galatians to to tie the the old and new together. When you let the the symbol slip and you turn Christian life into a progress hmm. from sinful to righteous, right? Or sin to virtue or something. Another
1: way of saying transformative, right?
0: Right. What you end up doing is you lose the tension and therefore, as you pointed out, what ends up happening is we, we basically have to ignore the flesh
1: and pretend that we're getting better. Hmm. It's true that we Which, will get better, but that's called death and resurrection. <laughs> correct. Which is
0: then, actually... Um, The next part of this, blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, imputation, that's right. Right, so here we go. Dr. Luther says, that is not blessed, but unblessed is he who does not impute sin to himself, is well pleased with himself, thinks himself pious, has no qualms of conscience, considers himself innocent, and takes this for his comfort and hope. The apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Mm-hmm. This is the same as saying, blessed is he to whom God does not impute sin, of whose sin God is not mindful. They are those who constantly impute manifold sins and transgressions to themselves.
1: Hmm. So it's kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know? Mm-hmm. Unblessed. Yeah. But it, or saying it this way, you know, I'm actually a pretty good person. Right. Uh, or this is how Paul would say it. I'm a pretty good person, actually, um, but that's not actually good enough. Right. That doesn't acquit me of my cr- of my crime <laughs> or my guilt before the throne of God. Yeah. You know, and uh, maybe go to any of the other epistles from Romans, Galatians. I was going to say in Romans 2, when he says, what does our heart
0: do? Well, in relation to law, our heart either accuses us or excuses us. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. We can't help ourselves. Yeah. Either, either so, we hold all our sins against us, <laughs> yes, and therefore we are forgiven, uh, paradoxically, mm-hmm.
0: or we say something like, "Well, I'm pious, and uh, you know, sense. I don't stay awake at night worrying about the sin that I'm supposedly manifesting in my life. Mm. I'm good, I'm good." <laughs> to which Doctor Luther says, "You are
1: unblessed, because the key there is impute." That'd be a nice rhetorical device for your sermon. Unblessed right. are those. <laughs>
0: yes yeah. but but to impute is the opposite of to infuse hmm. to impute is to reckon or consider one as being guiltless right. to infuse one with forgiveness would be to literally scrub one out like a dirty pan <laughs> and say there you're clean you're righteous i like infusions though you know like a right like a tincture <clears throat> this is why we like sanative justification and progressive sanctification it helps us feel better about ourselves. Oh, you're but putting out all the buzzwords now. I know. It's just the old Adam lying to himself. <laughs> Come up with new terms to do right? what we've always done. Yep, right. Historically, exactly. We just got to reframe the same old arguments. No, no, this is new. Trust me. <laughs> so since jump to verse three then. When I declared not my sin, that is Dr. Luther writes, I did not want to recognize or acknowledge my sin. I thought I was pious. I did not see the deceit of it. And then the psalmist writes, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That is, Dr. Luther writes, I had no peace, but always a burdened and evil conscience, which made me weak and miserable and left me no rest because I did not confess the sin or search for grace. Hmm. And I think that's at the root, right? Is that what Luther is getting after and what he believes David's getting after is those who are not hungry for righteousness. Mm. They're not hungry for God's favor. Also then don't confess their sin. They don't consider their sin.
1: Because that would make them hungry. Right. Right. So easier just to ignore it um, because then that would, uh, what? Mm. Help you recognize your need (laughs) or actually cause you to recognize your need. Right. I was talking
0: talking with a girl that I teach confirmation to on Saturday. We were at the dinner at her at her house at her at the dinner table and she asked about uh, fasting and bodily preparation in the small catechism mm. and i explained why what fasting was and why they did it and she just and she said point blank she's like if i couldn't eat at least four three times a day i would die <laughs> and i i said but jaylee are you ever actually hungry and she said well of course i'm hungry all the time and i said but are you hungry or are you hungry because you're just used to eating all the time Hmm. and so your brain is saying well it's been an hour since we ate we should eat versus after let's say a day or two of not having any food is your stomach saying hey could you put something in we need fuel
1: yeah how many of us have actually done that gone even 24 hours right i said what is this you know i mean still you have liquids of course but Mm -hmm. you know just to say what does it feel like Right. And then recognize um, the need of of your flesh, you know, for for sustenance. Well, when people ask if I do intermittent fasting, and I say, well, of course, every night, that's,
0: you know, I I stop eating at a certain (laughs) time and I don't eat until (laughs) a certain time. It's called breakfast, you know? Right. I mean, but then when they ask, well, what is that, like six, seven hours? I'm like 12-ish. Yeah, 12 to 16, yeah. (laughs) It's not a long time. If you think about it, if you don't eat from breakfast at 8 a.m. until, let's say, dinner at 6 p.m., how many hours is that? I thought right? Do,
1: don't you do midnight snack?
0: Right. There's midnight snack, there's brunch, there's second breakfast, there's lunch, <laughs> there's siesta, there's the after school <laughs> snack, there's the, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's true. There's the five o'clock snack before dinner, then there's the bedtime snack, then there's the bedtime drink, mm. and then possibly if they can't go to sleep, there's the nine o'clock drink. But yes, we, we, we don't understand what it means to hunger, mm. most of us anyways, because we don't have to. There's always food. There's so much food. And therefore, when you actually voluntarily engage in fasting, as I, as I note, and I, I can't help but laugh when people talk to me about this, people think I'm too intense or I'm extreme because I do intermittent fasting. It's, it's not that big of a deal. You sleep for most of it. Yeah, but, probably three quarters of it at least. Yeah, pretty much. So therefore, or the idea of two-thirds. why would you make yourself hungry? It's like, well, I'm never actually hungry. That's kind of the point. It's a discipline. But it's also, as you pointed out, it is fine outward bodily
1: preparation mm-hmm. for lots of things, actually, not just the Lord's Supper. But here, I mean, what is Luther getting at? Well, what's David getting at? He's talking about um, how even if you choose to ignore your sin, to not declare yes. it, you still are wasting away. Yeah, you're, but, not, you're not hungry for the thing that can satisfy you. Right. And so so you are still um, are dying. <laughs> you want to put mm-hmm. it that way, right? Because the the going back to verse 2 then, the unblessed are those who think, well
0: I'm pious, I don't have any qualms of conscience. I'm innocent and I have comfort and hope. Well, those are sugar-coated lies. Mhm. You're you're essentially
1: eating sweet nothings and it's actually deadly. Right. Your bones are wasting away that language, yeah. So tragic because
0: piety calm conscience, innocence, comfort and hope seem on the surface, outwardly they seem like good Christian things. Well, yeah, I would love to have them. (laughs) Right. The problem though, as he points out in in drawing off of David here is that's actually the reverse of what it means to be righteous. A righteous person sees nothing but their sinfulness in relation to the God who says, yeah, that too. Hmm. Why, Why do you keep bringing up stuff that
1: I've already covered, remitted, forgiven, and forgotten. Right. Well, and I guess the question is how you define those words, right? right. What is a pious life? But we would say hmm. a life that trusts in the forgiveness of sins, that lives Correct. always uh, looking to Christ and his cross. Right. Mm-hmm. It all comes back to that. What is blessedness? Forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. What is piety? Forgiveness
0: of sins. What is repentance? Look, I mean, it's redundant because the whole scripture is about Jesus and the forgiveness of sinners.
1: Well, it's kind of like saying, you know, that the, the main thing in the sacrament is uh, the altar is to to bow and to cross yourself and, right. you know, or, to, or bodily preparation as well. Uh, whereas Luther says, no, it's actually the eating for you, the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. eating and drinking that gives you that. That's what the main thing is in the sacrament for you. And, <laughs> right. and we kind of, oh, I don't know, we get all hung up on all the other stuff which might be mm-hmm. a fruit of faith, I guess. It's our religiosity. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's, there's no such thing as the fruit of faith. There's the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Fruit of our faith? Oh, shoot. I totally... Oh, <laughs> dang. I totally fell into no, that one. No wonder we're weak and miserable. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you can't, you can't quite ever throw off your catechetical heritage, even the bad No, one. you can't. You can't. <laughs> it just hangs around. <laughs> so jumping forward now to verse five, I acknowledged my sin
0: to thee. Dr. Luther writes, now I see that there is nothing better than to confess before thee that there is only sin in me and nothing good, so that only thy grace may be praised and desired, and all pride and trust in merit and good works may cease.
1: Hmm.
0: When I was at seminary, there was a big movement to tamp down the theology of the cross, theologian of the cross conversation. Mm -hmm. It was very popular in the mid to late 90s. And one of the complaints was the entire church year is not about Good Friday. And before I had actually read Saza, I said, well, that's true, but you can't get to Easter Sunday unless you go through Good Friday. Mm -hmm. Right. It kind of works that way. But as you and I know, pastorally speaking, the emphasis is on Easter Sunday, even in our churches. Mm -hmm. Good Friday is when the pious show up (laughs) and then Easter is when everybody else shows up. That's tongue in cheek, folks. I'm not being pejorative there um but nonetheless the crowd on good friday is is significantly smaller here it's about one third of Mm -hmm. what the easter crowd is yeah and as i've said before on this podcast and and you've talked about uh, off the air with me too is you will have good well-meaning folks come up to you preceding easter sunday just to encourage you to remember there will be guests in church on sunday
1: hmm So let's just keep that sermon safely inside the lines. Keep it polite. Yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, Well, and the and the problem is, is that even Good Friday, in a very like pious kind of Mm -hmm. way, uh, can also be the opposite, where it's not about the forgiveness of sins, but it's about like self-flagellation, basically spiritual flagellation. Don't you feel bad that Jesus is stretched out on the cross for your sin? And aren't you sad? (laughs) Black everything. Yes. You know, putting out the the candles. Yeah, Yeah. slamming the book, the whole deal. Right. Which, you know, I guess can be illustrative, but also can be a distraction. It's theater. Mm. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that. (laughs) I've
0: done it. You've done it. I'm not against
1: it. I'm also not for it anymore because babies. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And uh, But but the point is, is that you can kind of hang out, not at Good Friday for the forgiveness of sins, but Good Friday for the I feel really bad about myself. Or I want to feel really bad about myself. (laughs)
0: Yes. Well, to put it this way, all of this is a matter of Christian freedom. It's not commanded or forbidden by God. Mm -hmm. Now, heres I'm not going to say but, because I'm not going to negate what I just said. But the caveat I would argue is this. When you use your Christian freedom to enact out rituals that you know in your heart you cannot live without, your piety cannot do without, the slamming of the book or silent night or whatever it is your, your congregation or your piety, pietal, pietal practices, if you know in your heart that, you, that your, your faith is grounded and anchored to that ritual that is neither commanded nor but familiar my God, I would ask why you continue to do it then. And if it's not detrimental then to the work of
1: um, the spirit and the word. Yeah. in you and in the congregation yeah and kind of the confessional principle is yeah we're happy to continue doing things uh, until someone says you have to do it and it's not commanded by god until you change yeah. to it exactly for so practically speaking then i would argue in christian freedom
0: if you want to black everything out and strip the altars and do all that stuff during the readings on good friday mm-hmm. i do that too however as soon as someone says but that's the way we've always done it or that if,
1: to me is the yoke of slavery or if we if we don't do it that way it's just not going to be special to me anymore. correct right yeah, you ruined you ruined Christmas, pastor. <laughs> Never heard that before. Right? Uh, yeah. So but, back to verse. Yeah, but ahead, here in the text, it's it's uh, I mean, whether whatever day of the church here it is, uh we acknowledge our sin before God. Correct. That and and well, it's almost like uh like what we hear of Christ, you know, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Right. Here it's <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to say this, um but there's joy in confessing our sin. Before right. before God, for the sake of forgiveness, because the punchline is always yeah. the same: you are forgiven. Yeah.
0: Now, as a side note, if your congregation practices confession and rededication, you're going the wrong way. What is that? That's where you confess not really that you've sinned, but rather you've you know it's sin as mistake or sin as bad habits. In my experience, I'm only speaking out of my experience of maybe a dozen congregations that I've interacted with the last 20 I've never years. Never even that heard do of this, this thing. Okay, keep going. So you confess. That you have done things, it's essentially it's essentially a riff on by, you know, I have sinned against you by what I've done and what I've left undone or my sin, my own sin, my own group. It's a riff off of that, but mm-hmm. framed in, in psychotherapeutic language. Mm. And then after we confess, we rededicate ourselves to living a godly Christian life. All because of the declaration of grace. Correct. We confessed and now that we have confessed and have a clean conscience, there is no absolution by the way. Uh, Then we can rededicate ourselves to living a godly life, according to God's will. We recommit ourselves to you. Yes. Uh. It's a recommitment. Yes. Mm. Do not mock people who dedicate their children instead of baptizing them if you confess and rededicate yourself at the beginning of your service. (laughs) That's all I'm arguing. Yeah. There's a little bit of dissonance there. Wow. According to at least our Lutheran confessions and our tradition here. So back to verse five, I did not hide my iniquity, David writes. And then Dr. Luther says, this is in contrast to those in whom deceit of the spirit produces such false confidence that they can unabashedly justify and excuse themselves. Because of this, they get into quarrels with other people and lapse into pride, anger, hatred, impatience, condemning, and slander. Their innocence makes them feel really guilty. And yet, I'm sorry, their innocence makes them really guilty. Mm -hmm. And yet they claim to have done justly and rightly and to have acted fairly. They conceal deeply their own iniquity for they look at their own righteousness and do not confess their sins to God sincerely and without deceit of the inner spirit. Righteous people, however, do not hide their iniquity, do not become angry, do not grow impatient even when they are wronged, for they do not feel that they can be wronged. Since they find no righteousness in themselves, these are the blessed to whom God remits iniquity and cancels it because they confess it. Since they do not
1: hide and cover their sin, God covers and hides it. Wow, that that really ties in beautifully with uh, last Sunday's gospel with the right? Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman, right? right. Who it seems um, she is being wronged by Jesus, right? Right. But Jesus, the sexist pig. And yeah, he's a little bit rude. Um, He's so mean to her. And he's so so mean, uh, but she doesn't get angry. She doesn't hide Mm. her sin. She accepts his rebuke um, as truth, right? Right. You you are a Gentile dog. You are um, not of the house of Israel. You don't deserve to even call me son of David. What do you even know of such things?
0: Well, I think the beauty of the lectionary readings, and they nailed it this time, is it's coupled with Jacob wrestling with God. Right. Yeah. Which exegetes the, and I, I I almost got distracted from actually preaching the sermon yesterday because <laughs> once I got done with the readings and we were singing the, the sermon hymn, I just sat and all I could think about was that those two texts coupled together. And if people would just read Genesis 32 and then read the Syrophoenician, the Canaanite woman. Mm-hmm. Skip the gospel, comment, yeah. The, the then all the of a sudden you'd say, oh, God is just hunting up faith. He's disciplining her. He's playing with her. Mm-hmm. That's what Dr. Luther says about Jacob. God is playing
1: with Jacob like a father plays with his son. Go listen to uh, Pastor Brown's sermon on the Sermons for You podcast, Higher Things podcast. There you go. Um, where he does the same thing. He said, you know, Jesus is, yes, he's preaching against the woman, but she's playing along. He's doing it for the mm-hmm. sake of his disciples. Who, yes, who, precisely. Who trust in their Israelite heritage. They right. trust in themselves <clears throat> in, in various ways, right? right. And Well, and, they're with Elvis. <laughs> they're the roadies. Right. They're, they're part of his entourage. So it's like, get away, woman, get away. You're, you bother us. That's right. Yeah. She's, they're always doing that. Yeah. So he, he's rebuking them more than he's rebuking her, Correct. but doing it in kind of this, you know, backhanded kind of way. Right. Um, and she bears it really for the sake of them. I mean, right. Yeah. The irony is that we always
0: want to put ourselves in her position mm-hmm. and then argue about why God is so mean Versus putting ourselves in the disciples' position and then repenting.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably what I did with my sermon. I have to go back and repent of my sermon now, too. But <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it is the <clears throat> predominant interpretation of that text. Right. Is that, look, Jesus is mean, but, but if you're persistent in prayer, you get what you want. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you can read it all the way back to the church fathers. It's how they interpret it. And right. so I mean yeah, okay. Yeah, to summarize the gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus, he's kind of a jerk. But <laughs> But if you hold if on you don't give up, exactly. Uh, Ugh. Yeah. Wakala. But but here, you know, she doesn't hide it, and I think that's true. That that's where really the what he where he would have us as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is, Absolutely. Uh you know, don't talk about He disciplines those whom he loves. If you're gonna talk about anything um, don't talk about, you know, your, your, the things you would boast in, right? Your, your good right. works and, um, uh, you know, your piety or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, speak of your sin as vulnerable as that makes you before your neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you have to do that in assembly, say, you know, I'm sorry, please yeah. forgive me. Um, at a congregation meeting, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do it because God forgives as for the sake of forgiveness for being absolved. Right. Well, this is what's, it's,
0: what do you want to say? It's a, it's a mic drop Mm -hmm. because you're reading the first part of that paragraph where he talks about the pride and anger and impatience and so forth of the unrighteous. And you think to yourself, yeah, I know those people. Yeah. I know those people. And then he says, but righteous people on the other hand, they don't hide their iniquity. They don't become angry while I'm out. They don't grow impatient even when they are wronged. Well. Oops. Again, I'm out. (laughs) They can't they, they can't be wronged because there's no way for them to feel they're wronged because there's no righteousness in themselves by which they may say, How dare you? Yeah. You can talk about me that way. That's okay. So that he he yeah, he slaps you across one cheek and then backhands you
1: <laughs> in case you thought, well, that wasn't so bad, and whack the other side. But the 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 blessedness of being of living only in Christ's righteousness and saying, right. uh, whatever I have to bear. Whether it is people's boasting and praise of me or or they're accusing right. uh, and showing me my sin, uh, my righteousness is not my own. I was going to say, we live with our sin uncovered because <laughs> God has covered our sin. Mm-hmm.
0: By making Jesus to become sin for us, that we might
1: become the righteousness of God. Yeah. There's a beautiful book from, uh, oh, I think we've talked about him on this show, uh, John Klein at Grace Upon Grace. Yeah, oh, it's a couple hundred pages in. I'd have to look for it, but uh, where he talks about you know the the c- Christian community who prays for one another, um, it, it's the only one that that perseveres, correct? And and the reason for that is again their sin is uncovered and their righteousness is in Christ. Uh, yes. When you pray for another, when you're not ashamed to be prayed for, um, to <laughs> have whatever yeah, it is right. exposed, uh, you know that it it. Well, it gathers everyone around Christ for his forgiveness as everyone becomes vulnerable uh, in an earthly sense, but but forgiving Mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful then. (laughs) Jumping forward to verse eight, Mm -hmm. David
0: writes, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. Dr. Luther then comments, this is where I want you to be. You ask that I deliver you. Then do not be uneasy about it. Do not teach me. And do not teach yourself. Surrender yourself to me. I am competent to be your master. I will lead you in a way that is pleasing to me. You think it wrong if things do not go as you feel they should, but your thinking harms you and hinders me. Things must go, not according to your understanding, but above your understanding. Submerge yourself in a lack of understanding, and I will (laughs) give you my understanding. Lack of understanding is real understanding. Not knowing where you are going is really knowing where you are going. My understanding makes you without understanding. Thus Abraham went out from his homeland and did not know where he was going. He yielded to my knowledge and abandoned his own knowledge. And by the right way he reached the right goal. Behold, that is the way of the cross. You cannot find it, but I must lead you like a blind man. Therefore, not you, not a man, not a creature, but I, through my spirit and the word, will teach you the way that you must go. You must not follow the work which you choose, not the suffering which you devise, but that which comes to you against your choice, thoughts, and desires. There I call. There, you must be a pupil. There, it is the time. There, your master has come. There, you must not be a horse or an irrational animal. If you follow me and forsake yourself,
1: behold, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Yeah, with the bit and bridle. I was laughing at the first part. um, Right. Because it reminded me, uh, for lack of... Yeah, well, whatever. It reminded me of JP Sears <laughs> or the Buddha. <laughs> right? Spiritual. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hyper spirituality, you know? Yes. It's like everything's upside down, but but of course we know that's true, actually. Mm-hmm. That that you who claim to know so much Actually, by claiming to know so much, you know very little. Or, right. or maybe it's like uh, some like one of those old martial arts movies, you know, with the with the guru <laughs> right. and saying unintelligible S- thoughts. Snatch the pebble from my hand. <laughs> or the yeah, Kung Fu Panda came to mind. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it it sounds like great wisdom, but it's also uh, oh, it's Luther doing his one of his favorite uh, devices, right, where the he inversion. Yeah. Well, that, but no, where he speaks. He, he takes the text and he expands upon it in the again in the same voice in the same person, right? So this is God continuing yes. to speak. It's not Luther's right. commentary on what, what what is in the text. He's he's right. just ex- blowing it up and drawing in from other scriptures, right? Hmm. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you take seriously Doctor Luther's Luther's
0: teachings and you actually preach this way, it it will catch people by surprise. Was that you <laughs> talking, you Pastor? Or, or yeah, right yeah especially the the hyper pious will be deeply offended by the fact that you you spoke the vo- the the voice of God in the voice of God as if you are
1: God <laughs> I do like what he says though because um one of the hmm, one of the problems for spirituality if you like or 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 being right. faithful is we're always thinking trajectory we're thinking goals objectives right outcome, absolutely and uh, like this is where we want to go this is how we want to get there uh, these mm. are the steps this is the program. And we were talking about this before the show. It, it Well, frankly, life is not that predictable. Congregational life is not that predictable. Your life is not that predictable. You just, you uh, rather living in uh, the forgiveness of sins, uh, just let things go where they go, right? Right. Well, and the thing is, we are all,
0: we all know what our destiny is. We all know. Mm. The final. predetermined course of our life. The final. I know where I'm going, yeah. you know where we're We all know where we're going. That being said then, why then, <laughs> if we all know that we must die, do we then squander the day as if we live forever? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Luther's point then is, Abraham went out from his homeland and did not know where he was going, but he knew that where he was going is where God wanted him to go. Right. So therefore, this goes back, I think, to the dead hand of faith even that we hold everything in the dead hand of faith. We don't clutch at it as if it's ours by right or we're entitled to it, but rather Mm -hmm. we receive all things as gift. And therefore, no matter where I'm at, no matter who I'm with, whether I'm alone, whether I'm stranded out at sea for three days like St. Paul, whether I'm surrounded by thousands of Christians singing
1: hymns of praise to God, I am exactly where God wants me to be. Yeah, and you get that from Paul's uh, description of his missionary journeys, right? Well, I was here for a while. Uh, and then you know the spirit drove me basically to another place. Said it's time to go over there, right? You know? Or I overstayed yeah. my welcome, or <laughs> however, <laughs> right. however it looks. And uh, I, I think that's our problem too. Jesus says, "Don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, yeah. you know, today has enough worries. I mean, just deal with mm-hmm. what's in front of you today." Right? It, it isn't to say you can't make plans. Um, uh, I like go read James. Yeah, best laid plans right? <laughs> um, of mice and men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I mean, it, you can apply that to any number of things, whether it's your career or. Uh, life of the congregation, or your uh, oh, absolutely, or your marriage, or however you want it to look. I mean, uh, I don't know. You could get married, say we're going to have ten kids, and then you know, have zero and have zero. Uh, that's right. not, or be told by your doctor you can only have two, and then you have five. Mm. <laughs> or in our case, you say you have ten, you have nine. So kind of things kind of right, worked absolutely. out pretty well. But
0: but this the, it, uh, it goes back, I think, again to holding the the tension uh, in those two kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Is that in relation to Jesus, we know our destiny. Yeah and even in an earthly sense like i said we know our destiny momento mori mm-hmm. remember you will die and yet in an earthly sense like you said we do have to plan for things like well i have to pay my kids uh lunch for the next month i can't <laughs> just say hey whatever god does that's what god does god will provide <laughs> right which is again falling under the ditch of the third article making everything about heavenly gifts uh, salvation yes, gifts yes, yes, yes. the blessing of the backpacks or then slipping entirely into the earthly side though too of saying um Uh, basically, I've got to do all of this because this is what God has given me to do. Therefore, as a faithful steward of God's resources, I've got to have a 401k. I've got to plan for this. And and the way that we then screw this up is like Dr. Walter, for example, arguing against usury and that whole debate, or or just confusing the two kingdoms in such a way that we either make everything about salvation and Jesus, or Mm -hmm. we make everything about the world and, and building the kingdom of God on this earth in our own little corner of the earth versus this is what I plan to do today. I've got to edit the book. I've got to record a podcast. I have to attend a second grade music program. I've got to take the kids to jujitsu. My son's got a band con- jazz band concert tonight and all these other things that come in between. These are, this is my schedule. Now, at any point, something's going to happen because the enemy gets a vote. <laughs> my kids get a vote. My wife gets a vote. Everybody gets a vote. I'm not in control. Therefore, I can say this is my plan for the day. And to the best of my abilities in a left-hand kingdom, in an earthly sense, I can pursue those, you know, check my list now, but nonetheless, as I point out to my confirmands, who is your neighbor? Who's ever right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And so I get a phone call and someone says, hey, I really need to meet you for coffee because of these reasons, well, now my plans go up in smoke, because what am I going to say? Well, I'm sorry, but I have to edit my book and that's more important right now because I have a deadline. Hmm. And I realize, hey, you're in a lot of trouble and you need me to bail you out of jail hypothetically i'm not giving away trade secrets for anybody or betraying anybody's confidence but you know you call me and you need me to bail you out of jail i'm sorry i can't do that until tomorrow because i have an opening from 11 to 12 tomorrow i can bail you out then
1: Mm, it's like no my neighbor needs
0: me right now well how do i know it's my neighbor because he's literally calling me on the telephone saying pastor i need you to come to the courthouse i need you to come to the jail and help me
1: yeah it's like uh luther luther says right uh, therefore, not you, not a man, not a creature, but I, through my Spirit and Word, will teach you the way you must go. <laughs> Correct. You're like a blind man. You're like a you're like a horse or an irrational animal. Yes. Right? And we'll jump into
0: verse eight in and verse nine in a second. But this is what I mean, then, too, of if, if you let slip the simile, this will make one no sense, and two, it will drive you nuts. Right. Because either, oh, God's always interfering and messing up my plans, or well, it's God's plan, I guess. And then we go back to the lady's daughter who was sexual assaulted mm. or the woman who prayed that the sky would clear and the storm would pass so that she could have the perfect wedding. This is, you let the symbol slip and, and very quickly the old Adam starts projecting out onto the world his idea of God,
1: which is himself. And it just gets really confusing and really messy and really destructive then. Well, and also, you know, we've experienced this where people say, well, pastor, you're so busy. I didn't know if you'd have time for me and you're like right. wait a minute. I mean this is right. a vocation given to me by God. You know right. that. You know that I or that I'm called to actually orient my day around you. Correct. And because you've been placed under my care. So it's not a problem, right? I mean, I can't always drop everything. I have to sometimes mm-hmm. prioritize. Um but if I can, I will you know because i'm here for you that's what that's my calling um right and that was external that's an external word that was applied to me (laughs) yes Yes, i I guess i accepted it under well a degree of reluctance (laughs) a degree (laughs) a small degree black belt degree of reluctance (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah but that's my vocation that's what god has called me to do i yes you know and of course i hold that intention with the call that he gave me to be a husband and father and you know, to be a citizen or whatever it is or to right. be a neighbor. That's why, again, in the simul, the greatest burdens
0: are also the greatest gifts simultaneously. Yeah. They're not one or the other. They're both. Just have kids and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love them and. But sometimes, <laughs> verse nine, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. Dr. Luther says, then these are the people who do not let me rule. Like dumb animals, they obey where they agree. And where they do not agree or approve, they do not obey. They do not understand the spirit. For horses and mules were not made to understand things that are beyond the senses. Hence, they are not moved to love or sorrow. And those human beings who will not do, avoid, or suffer anything, unless they can measure, grasp, feel, or examine it, cannot grasp my understanding. In their reason, they are like horses with their senses, both go no farther than to act according to impulse. Hmm. I so desperately want to throw this at so many different people right now. <laughs> and, and yet I know by doing that, I just the very fact that I want to do it, I'm there, I'm the horse. Nah, technically I'm the mule. It's like the blind leading the blind, right? It really is. And that's, that's the frustrating thing about the penitential Psalms is you read stuff like this and go, ah, finally, here's my opening to attack. And then you, it gets flipped. And this is the beauty, again, of Luther pedagogically, is he mm-hmm. always make sure to flip it back
1: on the reader yeah. or his student that he's lecturing to. Yeah. If you, so, if you uh, back, back to the previous uh, verses, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you believed <laughs> if, uh, that your sins are forgiven, that your sin is covered, then mm-hmm. why, would, why, why would not out of love or sorrow, why would that not move you for your right. neighbor, right? Because um, you've received that. In the forgiveness right. of sins. Sorrow over your sin and love in the forgiveness. Right. Um, and by the way, this verse, and also
0: what I'm about to read, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not keep with you. This is what Willem Lea uses to explain the third use of the law. Oh, as bit and bridle. That this is the third, that we are like dumb animals who require a bit and bridle hmm. so that we may go where God wants us to go.
1: And it's interesting because the, um, the animal, uh, you know, sometimes embraces mm-hmm. those things correct it, it puts them in a place uh that restraint puts them you know in a comfortable position they know what their job right. is they know they know what they're to do um they know that the master is present etc that's why in his catechism leia points out that the train the one who is used to the bit and
0: bridle who's broken in they don't have to snap the reins or yell commands or even speak they simply twitch a finger or move their eyes one way or the other and then the horse goes oh we're gonna go right we're gonna go right
1: we'll go left oh we're gonna go left and and does it even, we might say, joyfully? Yes, right. Because it pleases their master. <laughs> yes, 100%. Or
0: the writer. So to the verse then, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not keep with you, Luther says, that is to say, I do not like those who must be forced by law, like animals with a bridle, but those who serve me freely and willingly without the pressure of the law, in spirit and in love. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Law dogs
1: need not apply. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it's uh oh, I don't know, a goal <laughs> to use the language I used before. Sure. I mean to be in that position where where you serve the Lord and your neighbor in love um willingly, freely uh without, spontaneously, without yeah. any compulsion of the uh, law. Uh-huh. Without bid and bridle, to, to quote formula 6. Uh nice. I, that sounds great. Right. It does exactly. It <laughs> sounds great in theory, marge. <laughs> Right. In theory. Whereas, uh, you know, no, actually we pray this psalm or the one right. of the penitential psalms, uh, God willing, you know, daily. <laughs> right.
0: Well, again, going back to what I've been harping on this whole hour, if you want to see where you let slip the symbol or you reject the symbol, or your pastor or others reject the symbol, this is the spot where they do it. Hmm. Is that if it's about progress, if it's about moving from something bad to something good or something sinful to something righteous... We don't need to be curbed with bit and bridle, or at the very least, we can be trained and then let r- loose of the bit and bridle, but yet the f- the emphasis is always on the force of law mm. in the life of the Christian. Mm. Whereas, as Dr. Lee points out, it's as if God were to say, I don't like those who must be forced by the law to do the things that the law demands. But mm. rather, as actually Formula of Concord, Article 6 argues in the Solid Declaration, the new man in Adam does these things spontaneously and freely without any compulsion okay. by the law. right. He he gladly does it. He gladly murders his own old Adam, because he knows to live as Christ and to die as gain. Mm-hmm. So therefore, like you said, it's not one or the other. It's not well. I need the bit and bridle until I'm trained in, and then I don't anymore. Ah, I
1: see. Yeah. But rather, I'm a stallion that can't be domesticated. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it too much to apply to the text to say the new man puts the bit and bridle on the old man? No, absolutely. He does that in the Galatians lectures. But the the new man
0: in the spirit participates in his own, in the death of the old Adam. Mm. Right. Which again, we hate when we let the symbol slip. Mm. Because why should I have to kill myself or do anything to hurt myself when I'm getting better? I'm progressing. I'm getting better.
1: Mm, I'm trying. (laughs) I'm not
0: dead yet. (laughs) So then to jump to the conclusion, verse 11, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Again, what is the definition of forgiveness or righteousness? To be not incurvatus and in sayest, hmm. but rather to be upright, not curved in on ourself, not staring at my own belly button, but to be stand upright, shoulders back, chest forward, eyes up, looking at the cross of Christ.
1: Pray with hands open and eyes, op- and eyes up
0: and open. There you go. Yeah. So Dr. Luther writes then to conclude the psalm, that is be bold and courageous, rise up and sing praises. Be of good cheer like a man who shouts for joy. For the heart that is right with God and is not wrapped up in itself or on something other than God is founded on the eternal good and stands firm. Therefore, it has an abundance out of which it can praise, glory, strut, and boast. As the apostle says, let him who boasts, boast of the Lord. But the warped souls, absorbed in themselves with false opinions and
1: deceptive good intentions, they glory in themselves and not in God. It reminds me of communion practice. We were talking about looking up or looking down, Hmm. right? Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, I I love it um, when the, you know, the majority of piety is that you come with heads, heads bowed and eyes closed and hands folded and then maybe only reluctantly receive the bread and the cup. <laughs> and then for the blessing or the dismissal, you still, you know, heads bowed because you're still very penitential. You're very sad for your sins. Right. And, uh, but then every once in a while, somebody will look up and smile at you. <laughs> when this is the feast of victory for our Lord. Please come up
0: quietly with your head down. Don't make eye contact. Don't speak. Go back to your pew with your head down
1: because this is a victory feast, and God forbid we celebrate. <laughs> or, or, or I see just an inkling of uh, of the joy of you know that 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 the forgiveness is right. right. Is Was that a smirk? Did I catch? Did I see a smirk on your face, Mister? <laughs> <laughs> Drop
0: and give me twenty right now. Oh, I know, I know. No, I point this out over and over again. What is the primary metaphor image used in the entirety of Scripture for the coming of the Lord? It's a party. What does Jesus do more than anything else in His ministry? He goes to parties dinner parties, wedding celebrations. He is constantly celebrating his presence amongst his people. And then you have the religious leaders who are these pious party poopers who are constantly saying, but, 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 but. The people that you associate with, but who let her in? But why are you sitting with them? That ultimately those who are upright are those whose sin is forgiven. And yet those whose sin are forgiven are the ones who are constantly saying, but my sin.
1: Yeah. They come in boldness, not in themselves, but... Um, yes, and in their, in their trust in Him.
0: Well, as you pointed, with that hunger, the mm-hmm. hunger for grace, the hunger for more forgiveness, the hunger for more Jesus.
1: And the other thing that Jesus does, they come, they put their face to the ground, and he and he touches them and he lifts them up, right? Where he right. opens their yeah. eyes. If you will have mercy, and he says, "I will
0: stand up or get off your bed, be healed yeah, and rise." Yeah, get off your bed, exactly. Get this woman, get this girl, something to eat and drink. <laughs> So that is it. That's, That's volume 14, Luther's works, his comments on Psalm 32, another penitential psalm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as we said in the beginning, that is how Luther upends, subverts the late medieval teachings on penance mm-hmm. and the penitential psalms and turns them into something beautiful and evangelical and that proclaim grace while never ever backing off of the need to repent and confess your sin. In fact, he makes confessing your sin into
1: one of the best, most favorite things that you could possibly do. Well, and the psalmist does it. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice. Why? Yeah. Because how did he start the psalm? Your transgression is forgiven. Forgiven. You're exactly. Blessed. Yeah. So we'll conclude the, the podcast with this
0: by declaring to you, our listeners, your sin is forgiven for Jesus' sake. Go in peace. You're a baptized in child Jesus of God. Name. Yeah. And that's all we've got for this week come back next week for a brand new psalm, another penitential psalm, since we are still in the season
1: of Lent as you are listening to this. And, you know, those penitential psalms are so sad. Right? <laughs> They're so Lenty. <laughs> so Lenty. So, uh, again, we appreciate
0: everything that you do for us to support this podcast and all of the uh, work that we do at Higher Things. And, as always, we love you, and we'll see you next time. Peace.